Hi, I'm Stephanie Reisdorf, and this is the Sex Hurts Podcast. Obviously, this is a podcast about sex and everything related to it. There's going to be graphic content, and there's also going to be cursing. I'm sorry, but it's kind of difficult to talk about sex if we're not going to be real, and sometimes that realness is graphic. So please be aware of it. If you are triggered by something that you hear, please reach out to an appropriate person like a mental health counselor or somebody else in the health community. Thank you. Welcome back to the Sex Hurts Podcast. I'm Stephanie Reisdorf. Y'all, today we are going on a sex addiction expedition. You heard that right. We are going to dive into this world that is so misunderstood and there are so many stigmas and myths about sex addiction that it is crazy. I keep trying to find different words to express people's stigmas and shame when it comes to sex and I have said bizarre, insane, crazy. I need to expand my vocabulary so I'm just not being repetitive all the time. But if you were to look up sex addiction, there are all these myths, including it's only something that men have. It's not something that's real, even though it's prevalent in our society. Thanks a lot, stereotypical prejudiced ding-dongs out there. You know, it's something that we need to challenge our thinking on so we can better understand people because the world is rough enough out there. We don't need to be creating more hate. We got enough of that. And so we need to be flipping the script on this. So before we get to our sex addiction expedition, having so much fun saying that, do you guys remember in in the trailer for this podcast, I talk about how sex is everywhere? I was not kidding about that. It literally is. I found out last week that one of my neighbors down the street is renting out their house to a production company to make porn. Like they're hanging out in the pool and just like getting it on and making some money, which no shade. It is COVID-19. We are in a pandemic. We got to get creative with how people make money. So high five to them. Getting back on track. My guest this week is Joe and Joe is a recovering sex addict, but more importantly, he is this amazing, kind-hearted, sweet man who is willing to share his journey of sex addiction recovery, and I appreciate the fact that he is so brave in wanting to help others as well. And that's not just by doing this podcast, but he also supports other people through their own journeys, and he's gonna tell you all about that. Joe is an inspiration to me in how to get the most out of your life now because we still have a lot of life to live even though sometimes we go through some shit. I'm so excited to get to share Joe with you and I hope that you take something away from his story too. So here's Joe. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Can you describe your sex addiction? Sex addiction for me started at a young age that I was intrigued by sex, felt a little shame about it, and then I started exploring. Paused as I kind of grew up in life and started having sex and started doing, uh, being a normal, what I think of a normal adult is or a normal adult male. And then I discovered like back pages and I would start emailing with guys, girls, couples, it didn't matter. Um, and there was a tremendous amount of power that I got in control in that conversation. And that for me was kind of the root of it. It was I, um, when I would feel powerless in my life, I would act out in that manner. Sometimes it led to a hookup. Often it didn't lead to a hookup. More times it didn't lead to a hookup. And then the internet was born. And then 
Craigslist was born, and that's like the crack for a sex addict. Really? Craigslist? Oh, yeah. It's the worst. Because okay. it's constant. It's like, you know, I mean, you know, you look in things to sell on Craigslist, and there's, you know, a hundred listings a day. There's like a hundred listings an hour in the sex section. They, Does Craigslist not monitor that stuff, or it, do they have... It, it, got, it finally got closed down eventually. Oh, okay. But for but, a long time, it was just like yeah. open. Yeah. Prostitution, massages, all, all that stuff was there, and then just random people wanted to hook up. And there would be long email exchange and picture exchanges. And all. It was like this thing, and it would just become obsessive. How did you first get exposed to sex? Because you said this started at a young age. Uh, I was molested initially. Um, the problem for me and my thought on it is um, I enjoyed it. So it didn't feel... I knew it was bad, but I liked it. And... Um, that was been a driving force in a lot of my life. You know, I went into drugs and alcohol, and I recovered at a very young age from drugs and alcohol. Um, and this was this sec- this very deep secret that I had. Okay, and that sort of evolved into this unhealthy relationship with sex. Yes, and seeking it to try and solve my problems. So when I would feel powerless in life, um, I would, you know, go act out. Um, when I would... Um, I always felt like I was going to, this was going to be the last time. So anytime I had the opportunity to act out, I would act out. Right. So it was like, and that just became more and more repetitive and started impacting my life. You were trying to get the power back just by acting out, but it wasn't working. No. So whenever you would go on Craigslist or you were doing like the back page thing, how would the people react to whenever you would solicit them? Were they into it? Did you ever get shut down? Like what were some of your experiences like? Oh no, they were, they were advertising. I was not a poster. So I never posted. They're advertising, right? They're they're saying what they're looking for, and I would, you know, engage. And I would, you know, type an email, sometimes really detailed. It was like the whole drama behind it, you know, and then wait for a response. But, you know, they would post, and maybe their kind of compulsion was posting, and they would never reply, or they didn't fit, fit my profile, what I would write. Yeah. Um, and so then it would just be, you know, sometimes you, I mean, some nights I would be up for hours, 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 till one, one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, having to go to work the next day, just sending out, you know, emails. How did your sex addiction impact your life? I was involved um, with a female and uh, with a woman and engaged. And um, she, you know, I think she had her own stuff, but she started trolling my phone and then found my email account. And then okay. there it was, exposed. So you never talked to her about your no. addiction to sex or anything? You kept it to yourself? No, she caught me acting out once. I remember she we, we were in a fight, and, uh, you know, she was on about a night, and then I was acting out on some website, and she came, she surprised me and saw the computer on. And so we that's my first time I ever started kind of looking at my stuff. Went to therapy with... Uh, with a therapist, start copying to a little bit more of the stuff. Um, we ended up, we got back together. I've been sober a long time in a 12-step program, and, right, it's solved. Mm-hmm. And uh, then that lasted probably six, eight months. You know, I didn't act out. And then I acted out. I mean, I went as far as taking Explorer off my phone, because I did it all on my phone. Gave the password to download it to somebody else. Um, okay. And so, I mean, I, I really made an effort and then got caught again 
and she left. And that was probably eight or nine years ago. And so reached out to a friend of mine who was sober and, and a therapist in L.A. And, you know, I was ashamed and I was freaking out. And she said, look, it is very common for people in their double-digit sobriety to be acting out. It's the same stuff that drove us to drink and drove us to use drugs. And it's still not been dealt with. And you need some help. And so she set me up with a therapist who did an interview who um, was from L.A. We met a couple of times. It, it just didn't work. And so, I, but she did get me to start going to SAA. Okay. Sex and Addicts Anonymous. Sex Addicts Anonymous. Okay. And so I started going to SAA. I attended that regularly for about three years. I had one slip where the way I acted out afterwards and went back again. And then I met one of the gentlemen who talked about his therapist a lot. I was not, I didn't feel, SA is a fairly, my experience, I mean, I'm a member of, a, of Alcoholics Anonymous, so it's like a very mature 12-step program. It seemed like the group was caught up in steps one, two, and three, and never really went past that. Not evolving to the next step not where you were to ready to go to. Okay. And so, there was one of the members um, who said, look, I've heard you now talk for a couple of years, and you you need to go to ACA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics. My mother and father were both alcoholic. That impacted my life a lot, not only in the physical addiction, alcohol, and drugs, but, you know, complete lack of parenting and boundaries and all those kind of structures that kids get. And between ACA and my therapist, uh, it saved my life. So when we talk about addiction and, you know, drugs and alcohol versus the sex aspect of it, did one feed into the other or how did they, did they play off of each other at all? Uh, I got sober at a very young age. So I got sober at 14. And so... When with I drugs got, and alcohol. With drugs and alcohol. Okay. So when I started acting out, there was I was doing 100% sober, 100% clean, not into that feeding into each other of it, you know, drugs gets me there or anything like that. You know, it was a way to shut my mind down because my mind was just not a healthy place for me to live. Right. And so, you know, I think I kind of see it the same thing as video games. That the, if, I, if I think if I could have found video games that, that did it, I would have done it there. The power I felt behind getting somebody to engage in like that chase of them wanting me to hook up and all that sort of stuff, it was just a very powerful feeling because like, I could delete it, I could ignore it, I could keep it going on. It was a very powerful feeling. It gave me some, some semblance of control in my life. Makes sense. You connect the dots together. You see that this is why I'm doing this, though. I wasn't, not when I was in it. Hindsight, it makes complete sense to me. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it was... Um, Women, couples, men, didn't I mean, who knows? It's the internet. Who knows really on the other side of any of that? That game, there's a lot of power in that game. And, you know, when you're feeling powerless in every other area of your life, you know, and you feel unmanageable, it's you'll do anything to feel power. At what point did you realize that it was an addiction, that you're like, okay, this has gotten to this point. This is no longer healthy. Uh, when I would continuously lie to my partner. Broke her heart. And, I mean, it was, I don't think it was the healthiest relationship for me in the sense that our, our knobs kind of lined up. The okay. stuff that I was doing is was 100% her trigger from our own life, right? And then we got in a very, very codependent relationship, and it was, it was very detrimental to me. Did you ever engage in any illegal sexual activity? Like kids or something like that? Well, anything that would be illegal, so whether that was like somebody who was... Sex in public? Yeah. Yeah, sex any... in public is illegal, and yes, I did that. Were there any other behaviors that you engaged in other than that? Um, that are illegal? Mm-hmm therapist kind of talks about what's illegal and I'm always shocked that it's illegal. Um, so, so sex in public, 
theaters, that sort of thing, yeah. Did you ever worry about getting caught or somebody reporting you if they saw you? Never crossed my mind. Never. What would be more con- what would be more worrisome is like if you did organize some sort of meetup, did you know them? Like that would be awkward, right? And so that was but there was some thrill in that as well. Oh, like if I'm going to meet this, what if I end up knowing them? Yeah, and then yeah, we have yeah, this yeah, secret yeah, together. Yeah. And are we still going to play on it? Or are we just going to like look at each other and walk away? Yeah, like exactly. what would happen? Exactly. Oh, that would be interesting. The compulsion, like when it would hit, like I remember those feelings of I need to go hunt, right? I need okay. To, I, I need to do that. And uh, and I never stopped to ask my, you know, and I'm many years sober at this time and you know, work the steps and sponsor people and go to meetings. And I mean, like, and I have this whole secret side of myself. Did you ever try to stop on your own or did you instantly go to a therapist or seek, seek services? I kind of saw it as just my private thing. And what's wrong with this? Then after I got caught, that I knew if I involved a program or a therapist or something like that, it would give it more validity. Um, but I don't know if I really wanted to stop then. When did you decide that you wanted to stop? It was probably the third time we got back together, the third time that I, you know, broke her heart again. And uh, I realized that it was just really, uh, this was really damaging. And there was something that needed to be fixed in me. And so I identified, when when I sat down the first SA meeting, the literature I identified with, the readings I identified with, and I was, it just, it the same bells went off there that went off for me when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. I knew that it was the right answer. Whether I wanted to stop is another question, right? I mean, because sure. it didn't, didn't feel, other than hurting her, like how damaging was it to me? And it took me a long time of working inside the framework of a 12-step program to see how damaging it was for me. Did you ever try, after you got caught, did you ever try to bring her into that world with you? Or were you just like, no, I'm keeping this to myself? So much shame attached to it. I, I couldn't do it. I better now, you know, with women I date now. Not into, hey, let's go troll Craigslist. I'm more open about it. I mean, I talk to AA about being a sex, addict, a sex addict and, you know, I look around the room and look at the people that I think are right there with me that are still in <laughs> denial, right? So I'm much more open about the stuff that drives me because it kept me separate apart from, right? And that mm-hmm. was, um, and that, that level of isolation and that level of um, loneliness. Well, and there, it's important to be able to have an open relationship with your partner sexually and being able to talk about what you're into and experience it and being able to find that connection with somebody that's, you You know what, I'm into that too. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know what, I've never tried that, but I'm willing to give it a try yep. and to have that conversation because... Everybody has their own interests, their own fetishes, their own kink, whatever. And you need to be able to have that healthy communication with your partner or else it's not going to be fulfilling to you. And if it's not fulfilling, it's not going to work. Yep. Either you're not going to be satisfied, they're not going to be satisfied, and eventually it's going to end. Yep. So being able to have that with your partner is awesome. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, now that I'm more open about um, my sexual interests with women I date, it's surprising how many women are actually into it, um, A, and um, B, it's like, even if they're just into it, that's almost enough. It doesn't necessarily mean we need to do it, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it's it's the honesty part for me is the part that I think is the freeing part, which allows me to show up. What helped you sort of work through and accept the fact that, hey, I'm a, I'm a sex addict, this is a problem? 
Uh, well, going to SAA helped a lot, and the connection with the other members um, that helped a lot. When I would find identification, right? I think you know people with a normal, healthy sexual attitude and behaviors don't ever think if they're a sex addict. They just don't, right? Mm-hmm. It's like somebody who is a normal drinker. They never think. They never think about are they alcoholic? If they have a problem, they, ne- they that doesn't cross their mind, and so. When they were clearly sex addicts and I identified with the feelings, the behaviors, the shame that it developed as a result of it and that cycle that would start it, right? Because now I got more shame, so I need to go act out more to get in this vicious kind of cycle. I knew that that was a place for me. But part of being in a 12-step fellowship is truly the fellowship side of it. And SAA still is not there. For me, it wasn't. Um, Is that there's not that, you know... In AA, they put bumper stickers on there. You're not going to do that when you're a sex addict, right? You're just not going to do that because there, there's a lot of uh, stigma attached to it, um, both pro and con, right? I mean, some people say, ah, sex addiction is the best addiction to have, right? It's like, no, it's not. It's not, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, um, it's really, a lot of it's shameful behavior. It's not that you just want to fuck all the time. That's not the thing, right? It's the, it's the game of it or the pursuit of it or the setup of it or the you know the darkness of it right and you're just there's a lot of shame attached to it you don't want to you know come out you know in a masked hood that takes courage to do you know if you're not don't have that courage to do that say look this is what i'm into it's you're going to feel shame and you're going to do it quietly and then that whole thing start feeding into itself that vicious cycle that continues and you just can't get out of it. What do you do? What's helpful to you when it comes to preventing relapse? What are things that you do differently to break that cycle for yourself? So I've stayed very active in kind of dealing with my childhood stuff that kind of drove me, you know, it comes down to abandonment. It's, you know, my mother got sober and that didn't, you know, she got sober and she became, she was, my mom was a great mom to adult kids. She was a terrible mom to little kids, right? She just didn't have that. It was the 1970s. We're living at the beach and, you know, I was just running around doing whatever I wanted to do. I also met a guy at SA that I really identified with and he talked about his therapist and I asked for a referral and I've been with her for probably nine years. And you still go, like you still do treatment, you still do therapy and, and Yeah, I don't things. go as often. I mean there was you know, when it was all going on I was going, you know, once a week for sure, sometimes twice if I was in a bit of a tight place. And uh, now I probably I'm I check in with her once every four or five weeks. Are you able to identify whenever you're having a craving or you feel a trigger? How do you fight those off? So SAA teaches you about your you know, your inner circle, your middle circle, and your outer circle. And, and stuff has moved in and out. So the first year I was I was at SAA, I didn't even masturbate. No masturbation, no sex without love and commitment involved. And I wasn't in a relationship at a time. Um, no pornography, all that stuff. And so um, as I've evolved and gotten more comfortable, my boundaries have shifted. So now what's in my inner circle is I is nothing I can't talk about. So, you know... Do I watch pornography to masturbate? Yeah, I do. And I'm okay with that. You know, my therapist asked me, how often are you masturbating? And I'm honest with her, right? And so I don't get into, you know, compulsive pornography addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm mindful of that. I check in. I've got a series of probably three or four fellow travelers 
as I like to call them, who are on the same path. I check in with them when I feel triggered. Um, and the triggering stuff is, it has nothing to do with like seeing a hot chick. That's not, that's not, that's not the trigger for me. The trigger for me is like, I'm feeling fake at work. And with that comes, I know where I can feel powerful if I go do this over here. And so it's much more normal things that are the triggers than that's the solution. Right. Yeah, because you identified it was about the power and the control, yeah. which is a normal thing. We want to have control in our life. We want to have power. How do you feel whenever people talk about recovery? Some people believe in it. Some people don't. Recovery? Some people believe in it. Some people don't. Well, I'm, not, I'm not following you. Some people don't necessarily believe that you can fully recover from whatever your addiction is, whether that's video gaming or yes, drugs, I, alcohol, sex, whatever. Some I people say, don't believe that you can. I say recovering, not recovered, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, no, I think that sex addiction for me is just as alive inside of me as drug addiction, as alcohol addiction. Um, I believe that um, because there are solutions to whatever my problem is if I choose to go down that path, right? Now, I've built a life and built a sense of self-esteem and self-awareness that I appreciate and I want to keep. And I know that partaking in any of those, I will have to give up something. And I don't want to do that. So I stay actively diligent in my kind of recovery and staying conscious about my behaviors. I see where this path goes, right? I mean, it's jails, institutions, or death, and I don't want either. I don't want any of those. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, or sex addiction, I don't want to. Those are the those are the only outlets for all those people. You're gonna end up in recovery homes. You're gonna end up in jail. I was just talking to a fellow traveler on the way down here who's done a lot of years because of his sex addiction. Right? I have no interest in that. I have no interest in that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to go register and all that sort of stuff. I don't want to do it. I mean, I have, you know, I'm successful. I'm, you know, I own a home. I, I, I have a normal life. And, um, you know, I don't want to jeopardize that. So you make the choices where it doesn't happen. Yeah, I don't know if it's... I, I want to say it's choice. I, I want to feel like there's that level of power there, but it doesn't feel like that sometimes. Sometimes it feels like... The choice was made a long time ago that I get on this path and I have to stay, just stay on the path. So it's not like I'm dealt with, you know, some people talk, yeah, I make a choice every day. I don't know if I do that. I think that if I want to feel the way that I feel today, and if I want to have the life that I have today, and if I want to have the level of self-esteem and how I feel about myself today, then that's not even, that's not an option. That can't be an option. Maybe tomato, tomato, I'm not sure, but. I I have the framework in my mind that seems to work for me. Well, yeah, and that's when it gets individualized because some people believe, well, you always have a choice. I have the choice to leave here and, you know, go rob a bank, but I also know that I'm not going to do that. Your perspective is unique to you. Mine is unique to me. And you, from the way that you view it, that choice has been made and now this is my path. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, just can't, I can't imagine everyone saying, hey, I want to go rob a bank. It just, I, but I, I have the choice to if I want. Apparently. apparently you you know? didn't know that? <laughs> I have that choice. <laughs> so when it comes to sex addiction, there is a lot of controversy because some believe that you cannot be addicted to sex. It's a natural thing and there's no addiction to it, but you can be addicted to drugs or alcohol. How would you challenge that belief when people say, oh, you can't, you can't be addicted to that? I either think of one of two things. A, they are one, right? And making excuses for themselves. 
or B, they're not one. I have no idea what they're talking about. So I see addiction. There is the there's the physical allergy. There's a physical addiction to the thing, coupled with um, an obsession of the mind. And then the third thing that I that is for me the core thing is there's a spiritual malady. And so I think, and this is just for me. Um, I know people have different philosophies, but it's that kind of trifecta. And so for, you know, with the sex addiction, it was probably more obsession of the mind than it was to the physical addiction. But um, and, but the core, the, the commonality between all of those is the spirituality, is that I felt apart from. And so anything that made me feel a part of in the way that I wanted to feel a part of and give me power worked for me. I get more of like, that's a great addiction to have, right? Because they think there's fun in it. Um, but I wanted to eat a gun, right? I wanted, I mean... I was in love with this woman. I, I was totally, I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And I blew that all up by sending fucking emails. It wasn't even necessarily acting. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't hooking up when I was with her, right? It was just sending emails and I couldn't stop myself. How humiliating is that? How shameful is that, right? Knew that she would, I didn't even put passwords on my phone. I knew she'd just eventually find it. Was there a part of you that ever secretly wanted to get caught? Would that sort of add into that thrill? I think so. I mean, I would act out at work on a work's computer on the work network. I did mean, you ever get caught? No, I never did. Not at work. Wow. Yeah, I knew. It's pretty lucky. I know. And I don't work there anymore, by the way, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody knows who you are anyway, so we're not going to be able to figure it out. When it comes to addiction, do you think that we have a choice I think when it comes to the addiction part, there's no choice. Unless you're choosing to practice good self-care, take care of yourself, unless you're making those positive choices all along the way, the addiction, the acting out, is inevitable if you're not. So if I'm not doing all this stuff, that's inevitable. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that there's any. So when I'm actively in addiction, actively in acting out, there's no choice. Did you feel like you had a choice? No. I didn't. I needed some level of interruption. Once I was interrupted, go seek help, do that stuff, then then the choices, then then there's some power back in it, right? Mm -hmm. But so the choices I make today to, you know, read my meditation book, look at myself, connect with other people, those choices all feed into the giving me the ability to not act out, giving me the ability to not use drugs, giving me the ability to not. Yeah. So I know that you said whenever people talk about sex addiction, they're like, oh, it's the best addiction to have. Like, what's wrong with you? That sounds amazing. But other than that, do you experience any other stigmas when it comes to sex addiction? Oh, yeah. Like what? Well, you're, you know, you're dating a new lady. You talked about yourself and trying to be transparent, trying to figure out the right time to say, hey, by the way, not only do I don't do this, don't do this. I also did this before and I don't do that anymore. Right. I mean, it's very threatening to people. Everybody immediately goes to pedophilia, right? They go to this whole really bad stuff, and it's just, you know. Yeah, there is definitely a, a stigma or a hard judgment when it comes to sex and behaviors. Because yep. you talk about a sex offender, people immediately think about pedophilia, yep. and they don't even know what pedophilia means. Somebody who has sex with somebody who was 17 or 16, 15, not a pedophile, but 
that's for another episode. <laughs> it's, it's a trip, right? I had yeah. no idea that sex in a car is illegal. Yeah, it's sex in a public place. Yeah, I had no idea. Even if you're no masturbating idea. in your car by yourself, yep. you that's still a sex offense, and you can get in trouble. You get listed as a sex offender, and then you didn't touch anybody. You just played with yourself, yep. but now you have this huge burden to bear of this giant stigma where people just assume everything about you. Well, and they all say, you know, uh, age of consent is 16. Not, no, it's not. It's not. Not for a 40-year-old guy. <laughs> it's, there are not, still that's boundaries. Yeah, there's, know, there is still a line. So, I mean, um, like, and so there's so many varieties of it, right? You know, I know guys that, you know, they, they would end up spending three hours a day in public bathrooms just to stand next to urinals at each other. I know one guy that moved to Vegas because there was no dividers amongst the urinals at the casino. He spent like eight hours a day in the casinos going from bathroom to bathroom just looking at Johnson's. You're into what you're into. You know? And, uh, but that, you know, you can't work, you can't do anything. You got to be down at the casino looking at dicks, right? I mean, it's, it's all over the board and it's so varied. And so I think that, um, getting back to your original question, the stigma is like, you know, those are difficult things to explain. How do you deal with those? I describe myself in a general way, right? I don't get into specifics because it's not our business. You know, it's, if somebody's asking about addiction to alcohol and asking what cocktail did you like and how did you mix it, it's like, you know, it's there. There's this intrigue when it comes to sex addiction, right? And so because it's sex and we don't talk about it. Yep, the truth. Yeah, the truth. and that's unfortunate. But yep. hopefully, with your help, we're working on changing that. And your podcast. So very hot topic issue or a hot button issue, I should say, is due to Hollywood and media, there is. A lot of controversy over the term sex addict and labeling or identifying as that. For example, when Tiger Woods got busted for having multiple affairs and then the Harvey Weinstein assaulting multiple women, both of them simply said, I'm sorry, I'm a sex addict, not my fault. If I have an addiction, it's not my fault. It's the addiction's fault. I just need to go get treatment. They use the label of a sex addict as an excuse to avoid taking responsibility. What do you think about that? I can certainly see how that's their perception. But they probably say the same thing about the guy on his fourth DUI who's killed somebody, right? And he truly is an alcoholic, clearly, and, and you know, hiding behind alcoholism. I think that in the end, they're both responsible for their behavior as I'm responsible for my behavior. The price that I paid was I lost the significant love of my life. I had a lot of shame behind that, you know. God only knows what she told her friends, right? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people that we have share friends. I don't know what their opinion would be as now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think clearly both those people paid a price, significant price, financially, jail, all that sort of stuff. That doesn't, it's not mutually exclusive that they weren't sex addicts um, and using sex. But I also believe they're both using sex as their mode of dealing with the stuff, the underlying causes and conditions. And that's the stuff that needs to happen. You know, just because I'm an addict, if I stop the behavior, doesn't mean I'm fixed. There's a lot of ways to deal with the underlying causes and conditions. And sex is one of them. You can't keep avoiding it. You got to deal with it. And sometimes dealing with it in a healthy way is the hardest thing to do. Avoidance yeah. and escape is so easy. Yep. And, and that's you're not where... going to do it unless there's, unless you, there's detriment, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... People don't stop drinking just because, well, hey, I want to get sober today. They don't do that, right? And sex acts are even worse than that because it's so, it's very insidious. Some people believe that men receive more sympathy for having a sex addiction where women are maybe more judged. What have been your experiences with that? I would agree. You know, 
guy's seen as, you know, a player and she's seen as a slut, right? I mean, it's not, it's not fair. Where do you think that comes from? Society in general. I think that compulsive sex addiction is, is a really uh, sad addiction to have because you start crossing your principles and your values. They start kind of, they start kind of peeling. I'll never do that. And then you do that. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, okay. And now that becomes a regular thing. And, you know, there was a time in your life where you were never going to do that, right? That meant this. Once you've lived on the edge, going back, it's like, you know, having sex on flannel sheets in the missionary position just sometimes doesn't seem as exciting, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're in a group with 10 people having sex and, uh, you know, the thrill of that and the fun of that and the story of that and all that sort of stuff. Constantly escalating to the next high, the next high, the next high. Because yep. the same one doesn't do it for you. Nope. So you have to constantly chase. Yep. Yeah, it's a part of the fantasy. Yep. If somebody were to be listening to this episode and maybe they are a sex addict and they are aware of it, maybe they are a sex addict and they don't know it yet, what is something that you would want to share with that person? First thing I would say, if you think you're a sex addict, you probably are. If you think you have a problem with sex, wanting it too much, risking too much, doing too much, you probably have a problem. And I would uh, encourage you to get help through Sex Addicts Anonymous, through a therapist, through a combination of those. But I can assure you that if you think that, and you think that now, especially after listening to me, you're never going to be able to push that out of your mind, ever. The important part is, is that you deal with it and that you're not alone. You know, there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us that have recovered. There's a lot of us that have uh, found a different way of life. And there's a lot of us that have been able to rebuild the life from the life that you're living. Because if you are one, you hate yourself. That's just the truth. And I know that because I am one. And I hated myself. I really appreciate that you were willing to come and talk to me about this openly on a platform. And I hope that everything that you talked about will either help another person or bring light to something or help somebody work through their own issues. Because somebody can be sober, but not dealt with their trauma yet or dealt with whatever their stuff is. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that you're willing to have this conversation and challenge the thinking of other people, maybe challenging some of those stigmas and bringing light to something that everybody tries to keep hidden in the shadows. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. See, guys, I told you Joe was cool. Now, if you've been listening to this and anything that Joe has said stands out to you or you're just kind of like, huh, Sex Addicts Anonymous has this questionnaire that you can take on their website and it can be an indicator to you if, well, I did answer yes to many of these questions, maybe I should go and talk to somebody. Or you can be like, nope, I'm good, and then like go on with your life. You can go to sexaddictsanonymousrecovery.org to take that questionnaire. That information will also be in the description for this episode. As always, if you have a story that you want to tell, reach out to me. You can email me at sexhurtspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Instagram at sexhurtspodcast. You can even reach me on Facebook. We have a Sex Hurts Podcast page, even though Facebook is for the elder millennials and their parents and their parents and their parents. It's still there and you can reach out to me on that platform if you want to. 
tune in next week as we keep talking about all things sex. I'm really excited for the rest of this season. I have a lot of stuff for you guys. We're going to be talking to people in open relationships. We're going to be talking about polyamory, monogamy. I was lucky enough to be able to do an interview with a sex offender. And we're also going to be talking about paraphilia, which is a super fun word to say. And I bet you have no idea what it is. Ugh, it's one of my favorite topics ever. It is so fucking cool. And we're going to talk about the female orgasm. So keep listening and I will catch you guys next week. Bye.